Well, hello there. I'm Omen Thomas Sade. Hi there, friends. I am Nick McGill. And we have a very special treat for you today. Uh, something, a departure from our usual talking tall? That's right. We were asked by the sweet and lovely Claire Holditch to accompany her as guests on her YouTube channel. And, of course, we said, are you sure you got the right people? And then we said, sure. <laughs> She's lovely. We had a great chat with her about music, flutes, Jethro Tull, Ian Anderson, and a lot of other things. And she brings an amazing perspective to this material that we don't have because she has something that we like to call knowledge and skill. Yeah, really. And, and most importantly, pertaining to the subjects at hand, which is Ex- Yeah, remarkable. I know. Which, so this might be a refreshing listen for you. <laughs> and we fully encourage you to check out Claire's YouTube page, Making Life More Fluteful. And uh, you can listen to this podcast in just its audio form, but you can find the, the video of this on our YouTube or Claire's YouTube, which I highly recommend you chuck on over and, and take a look at that. So enjoy. I am so excited today because I have with me two amazing humans who are responsible for making me laugh now on a weekly basis. My walk to town when I walk on a Sunday to go and teach has never been so exciting as when I came across a fabulous podcast by these two wonderful humans. The podcast in question is Talk Tull to Me. Um, And my regular viewers on my live stream um, know that I do mention it quite often um, because it's just, just wonderful. And and I've been meaning to get in touch with these guys for so long. And and when I did, straight away, they got back to me and went, yeah, let's have a conversation. So that is what we're going to do today. We're going to have a little conversation and um, just share some stuff around, um, around, well, what they do and what I do. And hopefully... um, yeah, just get to know each other a bit and introduce maybe our audiences to each other. So for those that who don't know me, um, I'm Claire Holditch. I'm a flute player, uh, musician, and um, most of my audience online know me from my um, YouTube channel where I make covers of all sorts of stuff, pop music, film music, TV music, all sorts of things, and including um, some of the music by the fabulous Jethro Tull, um, which is what uh, binds us uh, together, me and my guests today, really. So, um, yeah, as I said, I, it's, it's so exciting to speak to these guys and um, and get to know them and just to share a love of, of Tull, really. So, mm. um, Omen, Nick, Hello. Hello, Claire. Thank you so much for having us. Uh, I'm Omen Thomas Said. I am Nick McGill. Together we are Feckless Moms. And we represent Talk Tall to Me. I mean, we are Talk Tall to Me. You are. You are. And this is a super exciting crossover episode collaboration. Hybrid, like when you when you mix an orchid with a, uh, a Venus flytrap. Yes, <laughs> polar bear. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe let's not discuss who is who in that, in that, in that, in that little Ooh. hybrid there. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for having us, Claire. It was thank you for thank you for being here with me. It's it's honestly, I've just been so excited about this. The reason that we got so excited that you contacted us and that we get to have a conversation is because you are 
somewhat you are you represent something that neither Nick or I have any of, which is expertise uh, in any <laughs> field. We uh, one of the things we always say on the podcast is on, on Talk Tall to Me is that you know we we just like Jethro Tull, and you know I think like a lot of Tull fans. Um, had the experience of not really being able to talk about it with anybody else. And so yeah. we, we kind of, you know, that a community around that has formed, but you actually have a skill, which is playing the flute, which is something that's amazing. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah, it's, um, and, and that's how I've really come to Tull as a, as a flute player. Um, and, and, and really I'm quite a, a relatively new Tull fan. Um, you know, I, I've been playing playing the flute for a long time, um, and was schooled in the classical method. Um, <laughs> and but I've always been a, a fan of all sorts of music. And and when I really kind of started to really listen to to their stuff and and, and just discovered how wonderful it was, it was mm. like ah, oh, it was so liberating. And then to just have a go at playing it as well has just been like oh wow. And then to discover. Other people who are just as passionate about their music still now is is wonderful. So yeah, it's uh, it's 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 just great. So here's the big question we like to ask whenever we get people writing in. This is super super fun to hear everybody's story. This mm-hmm. what is your your tall jump start? What was your first exposure oh, to tall? Do you know? I don't even know if I can answer that i don't really know i mean i i probably heard for legal reasons obviously <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i think i'd heard bits and bobs over the years but i just never you know if, if i'm really honest the whole the flute in pop songs was mm-hmm. was this thing you know it was like oh sometimes you a flute pops up in pop songs and it was like yeah 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 whatever um and I can't honestly remember what really made me go, no, do you know what? I'm going to really dig into this and listen mm. to it. And um, um, yeah, I honestly can't, can't really remember where I started. But when I, but when I kind of did realize, oh my God, this is, this is amazing. I was like, right, I'm going to start at the beginning and kind of go, go through. So had a, had a bit of a dabble with this was, but then it was stand up really that, that really got me like, Hooked. Sure. So I kind wow. of yeah. began, and even now I've not I've not listened to the whole catalog. I'm I just hands in the air, like I've not got there because so, um, I, I get one album out and I'm like, oh, this is the best thing ever, and then I don't want to move on to the next one. <laughs> that that definitely uh, parallels an experience that that I've had, and Nick, you and I have talked about this a little bit. That you know, when you really fall in love with a tall album, sometimes it's hard to move on to the next one because the mm. sound can shift so much album to album. Yes. Yeah. And and I think it's a common tall skull experience to listen to a new album and listen to it once and kind of go, oh, God, what was that? And then you listen to it a couple more times and you you get acclimated to the new sound. That's the experience, I think, in, in this podcast as well. I mean, we are very oh, we are in the smack in the middle of recording episodes for under wraps. Mm-hmm. And neither of us is terribly familiar with under wraps. Right. But. Boy, yeah. do we like it now? Yeah. After yeah. like these deep dives and really having to listen to it so so precisely. And I think that's what's amazing about the one of the things that's amazing about the music is you can't you have to dig into it, don't you? Yeah. Um, and I suppose yeah. in some ways that that does parallel with classical music in that that it takes a little bit of effort to to mm-hmm. get in and, and get in there and really understand it. Um, 
And this is why listening to your podcast is so amazing because it gives you the chance to do that, to really take the time and, and, and dive in in a way that, I mean, I wouldn't do because I'm always coming at it from a music point of view. Mm. So it's the music that's brought me in and it's the music that I pick up on more than the lyrics where you guys really dive into the lyrics, which is fantastic because I've learned so much about the music that I thought I already knew quite a lot about from exploring it from a lyric point of view. Um, well, but yeah, you're dead right about each each album having its own feel. And I can completely understand why people say, oh, well, I like this album, or I like this era of Tull, or I like this, because they are hmm. so radically different, aren't they? I have to say, under wraps, I have I have kind of jumped forward in my um, exploring the catalogue and went to under wraps, because I was so intrigued to see how that album was done as somebody who's producing their own stuff. I was like, oh, I like, oh this is the whole yeah. album, you know, with the with the, the the program drums and everything. I was like, oh, I'm really keen to listen to this because what 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 did they do, you know? One thing that's been fascinating that that neither of us expected um, is that through looking at the music of Jethro Tull over the 50 years that mm-hmm. they've been playing has really led us to a historical exploration of the music industry uh, recording technology, music technology, you know, if you look back at this was or stand up um, and and the way that that was recorded versus the way that the most recent tall album, the kind of surprise that nobody mm. saw coming, mm. um, the Zealot Gene, which came mm. out just this past year, that was recorded essentially like what we're doing now. You know, it yeah. was recorded during quarantine. Ian sent out scratch tracks to all the musicians. They played their bits and then it was remastered in a in a separate location. And and Ian ended up just doing a pretty much half of the album on his own as yeah. well. Yeah. And, and how going... wonderful is the album because of that? That mixture, that complete mixture of full full out produced tracks and then the acoustic stuff. I mean, it's just yeah. wonderful. I think I've heard him say that he thinks it turned out a lot better because mm. of the situation that they were working with, which is yeah. amazing, really. And- and it represents, you know, the history of the moment that it was created. Mm. Now, speaking of history and going all the way back to the to the origin of some of this stuff, I'm wondering, as a as a flautist, are you familiar with uh, Rasan Roland Kirk? Y- yes. Uh, amazing. Crazy man. Crazy. Yeah. I wanted yeah. to kind of see what, because you know, we only really know of him in the way that he inspired Ian Anderson and that playing style. Mm. Um, but I was wondering if, you know, what your, if you had any kind of perspective on, on Kirk and uh, kind of, you know, well, flat, think, flute wise, what, what that yeah, represents. Well, I think that the, if you, if we're talking about flute specifically, I think what, what probably was a massive advantage for him was that he played all these different instruments. So, I mean, he's a saxophonist primarily, I believe, but yes. you would see him on stage with his sax and his flute and his harmonica and his God knows what attached mm-hmm. to him all at once, you know, and, and actually, I think that's what probably gave him his sound, his flute sound, because it's not a pure flute sound. Um, and of course, he's using singing and playing and all the other weird and wonderful techniques, which um, you wouldn't. I, I, you, I, I doubt that anybody would come at that straight to the flute, if that makes any sense. It makes sense that somebody like that with a, with a sax um, which has that read and has that kind of more mm-hmm. resistance, you'd then think, oh, maybe I can get us, you know, I would transfer that onto the flute. And and the same maybe with the harmonica, that that sound, that grittier sound, it makes sense that that then 
it came from somebody that played all those instruments already because I don't think you would necessarily even think about wanting to do that with a flute until you'd <laughs> done it with something else I mean thank god somebody did because it's just magic you know but um but yeah no that's 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 interesting and I think the people that haven't if anybody hasn't heard Roland Kirk go go just go and listen because um yeah. you can really see how Ian was influenced through that um it's it's really interesting to listen back to back to Ian Anderson's Serenade for a Cuckoo and then uh, Rasan Roland Kirk's yeah. um, Serenade for a Cuckoo. Yeah. And in that order, because otherwise I think you'll find it very depressing. But the, <laughs> uh, you know, the Kirk version is just so explosive. And, and, and I've never thought about what you just said, you know, this idea that, that being a multi-instrumentalist, and really, I guess you could apply this to any discipline or any set of disciplines, that the more different points from which you are coming at any particular thing can enrich what you can unlock from that individual mm. thing. Mm. I definitely. And, and it's the whole melting pot of stuff, isn't it? Mm. I mean, I'm, I having been on this journey myself as a musician from, like I say, being, being kind of strictly a classical player, but a lover of all these other things. And then now uh, opening up my musical world and allowing that to happen, you know, uh, as a player it's it's so not only is it liberating it's just you learn so much from each thing whether that is a different instrument or a different genre or a different whatever you know and I just wish players and musicians of every genre would would do that you know it doesn't mean they have to go and perform in in that but but go and try it and learn something different and I think that's what um is magic about musicians like that, Roland Kirk, Ian Anderson. They're, they're open to doing it and they're open to discovery. I'm a great believer in discovery. I, do, I say that all the time with my students, you know, mm. discover what's going on, discover what your instrument can do, discover what you can do, make it individual. Um, and that, again, is to me, is a massive draw to, to Toll and their approach because it's just, you know, they're not afraid to try stuff. It's, it's, it's free and and yes, all right. There may be some element of manufacture going on at certain points because it it's the music business. But um, I don't think they've ever lost that. So yeah. it's interesting hearing about your journey, sort of starting from the classical training standpoint and mm. then getting into rock and roll. Mm. Um, Ian's trajectory has almost been the opposite. You yeah. know, he started playing rock and roll. the The story that we've always read is. Uh, Ian was in a pawn shop, I think, either getting his guitar back mm. for, after having sold it for beans or something, and saw a um, saw a really inexpensive flute and thought, "Yeah, I bet I could play that." Picked yeah. it up, and that was it. Um, and from from there, you know, if you go if you jump forward a number of albums, we're right in the period now where the story is his um, his daughter was about thirteen, fourteen years old at the time, started taking flute lessons. Mm. And he would say, oh, you know, let me show you how to do that. And she was like, daddy, that's not how you play that note. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, oh, maybe I have something to learn. And he sort of started at that point learning more of the classical technique, more of the quote unquote proper way of playing, which you can really hear in the later albums. I was just listening yeah, to yeah, dot, you dot can, com this you morning. You can hear it and you can see it as well, because some of his finger positions and some oh. of the actual notes as well. Um, like for the, so, so yeah. I, yeah. So um the that you always go down about the pinky finger so he would never use this this key here mm. which um 
it doesn't I mean if I'm honest it doesn't make a massive amount of difference to many of the notes but but some of them it does in terms of intonation so he he started using that a lot more and there's one note that that notoriously gets played incorrectly which is f sharp which sometimes gets played um with the middle finger um the correct fingering is is really that finger um so you can see that as well some he that he's Oh. he's kind of switched that but it's really I mean fair, massive respect for that because it's so difficult when you've learned something one way oh to then gosh. you know relearn um, it unlearn it um so yeah that's huge but yes I've noticed that watching watching videos from different different periods um Claire have you heard the piece Griminilli's Rament Griminilli's yeah. Lament yeah, yeah beautiful absolutely Close stunning uh yeah. what was that was that dot com or was that rupees dance i think that's no, it's dance, right it's no, it's um it's secret language or no it is rupees dance Rup yeah rupees it's, dance. yeah it's on yes yeah technically yeah. a solo album but yeah oh it's just beautiful i heard i read a very funny um i think it was actually when i bought the cd of rupees dance um ian had written you know griminelli was this famous flautist and he died and i wanted to write this this lament for him and then it's a duet because, you know, it's it's a tribute to to that flautist and kind of my relationship with him. And so initially I was going to have, um, I forget his name, uh, something, there's, an, there's a famous American flautist, his name has gold in it, something Goldman, Goldman. Anyway, he said, I was going to have this famous flautist play the other part of the duet with me. And I thought, well, no, I'll have this other famous flautist play the duet with me. And then they both were worried that the other one was going to get it. And so instead, I just did it all myself. <laughs> it's just the most kind of Ian Anderson story. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, very much so. Brilliant. I didn't. I didn't know that one. I did not know that one. So you you said you 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 were able to visually see like that kind of progression of Ian's playing. Um, can you hear it too? Do you hear hear when he starts I mean, to? It, it's fascinating to go back to the early stuff and and to just I still can't wrap my head around that the fact that he did Bore after what playing the flute for what two weeks or something stupid. I, I mean you can hear that you can hear that um, technically, but it's all the better for it in my yeah. opinion. It's good because his his sound is it's thinner. It's not yet formed. You know it's it's mm. it's not stable there's not as much power there but there's something really endearing about it um and and not saying that there isn't now there still is obviously there is now but there's yeah just to um to hear that progression and i think again a lot of musicians can learn from this you know just go out and be you and make a sound and, and play the music you want to play it doesn't have to be technically you know superior or technically amazing or whatever i mean my 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 regular live stream viewers will be laughing now because um so i do a live stream show where i i do requests every week and never a week goes by where i don't mess something up completely <laughs> whether that's because i mean now i've got like 140 odd requests you know 140 odd tracks in my request list because i keep adding stuff and making my own covers and things um, and I just can't remember them all. I mean, some of them I have the sheet music for. I do have the dots in front of me. Some of them I make myself play by ear. Some of mm. them, you know, I, I know what key I'm, I've written the key down. But some of them I've just got lazy, basically. I haven't even written down what key they're in. I'm just like, right, okay, <laughs> let's just play. Um, and sometimes that's an utter disaster because I can't remember. Or I've got the dots in front of me and it's in the wrong key and I've forgotten to write 
I need uh, to play this in a different key. Yeah. So, so yeah, so I mess up all the time. Um, and at first that was terrifying. It was mm. absolutely terrifying. As somebody who's, you know, been trained to follow the dots and play it like this, and da, 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 it was terrifying. And what it's taught me is it really doesn't matter um, mm. because, and I'm sure my listeners again will be smiling because my philosophy is who cares? A wrong note, who cares about a wrong note? You know, who cares about that? It's how you play it. And that's that's really is what comes over in, in Ian's playing right from the beginning all the way through. You know, it's, yeah. it's full of it's full of him. And you learn from that mistake too, right? I mean, you learn yeah. you learn to better prepare. You learn to play the note differently. You think you learn to better prepare. <laughs> <laughs> it it's not dissimilar to how we how we do talk tall to me, to be honest. I mean, Omen writes the triptych in the beginning and I write some stuff for the end. But other than that, everything is off the cuff. We're we're really in a flow now that we really have it. And um, we've always staunchly refused to learn from our mistakes. Exactly. So that's why we're, we repeat them every week. <laughs> but sometimes don't you think, yeah, it's the mistakes that people love. Like, it's because if we're going to go to a deep level on this, it's it's that humanness, isn't it? It's that vulnerability and that humanness. And I think in our society, if we want to talk about that, um, there is this want to be perfect. There is this want for mm -hmm. it to be polished and to be to be like that. And actually, I think we all just need to be human um, and and show show that. And that's that's the artistic creative element, isn't it? Of of just doing something and it being in the moment. I've I mean I've learned so much from. From the streaming and just being able to enjoy the moment when I play rather than panicking, you know, and thinking, oh, this isn't good enough. This isn't right. Well, you know, that's it. Take if, too much of that takes away from the from the actual doing, I think. Yeah, it's excuse me a moment while I, I step up onto my granddad's soapbox. And I, I think this is this is kind of the problem with with social media you know, Instagram, TikTok of everybody gets the perfect version of something and you never see the hours that people sink into it, the mistakes that they make. Mm. And that's why we are pro mistake. But also it reminds me of another bonus track that we covered off of Heavy Horses, Quatrain, where Martin's ripping along. It's great. And, <clears throat> and uh, Ian picks up the mandolin. Oh, yes. And you can hear him in the background. He's like pl plucking along. He's going great. And then you hear like, oh, fuck again and then he picks up again and <laughs> yeah. it's clearly like a a, a a a literal off the cutting room floor and he, he screws up twice both yeah. times when he picks up the mandolin and that's just that level of humanity that connection with ian is so much more valuable now than hearing these really perfected tracks we are so we we have sunken so much time into listening to those it's it's getting to see the humanity that is ian especially because he's really reserved anyway yeah you know so seeing seeing how how something can be personal how this this guy who has produced just hours and hours of of material done thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of touring and there's so much writing that hasn't been, you know, he, for every one song that we hear, he's probably written 10. Yeah, right. it's, it's so Im important to actually get something that's worthwhile, I think. And for me personally, mm. I, I really struggled with this. I mean, 2019 was the, the obviously the year before COVID hit and it was the year before I really started doing any of this stuff online. Um, and I'd got to the point where you know, I was struggling to to find places to perform as a classical mm. player and, and do all this stuff. Um, 
and really you know kind of at my wits end a little bit and and I I really had to go through that mentally and 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 learn that hang on a minute if I unless I let go of this need for it to be a certain way and to have that kind of standard which is really unobtainable then right. um I, I'm I can't really keep going with this you, you know? just end up reducing and reducing the the number of contexts in which you can perform exactly rather yeah. than having an expansive uh, yeah. kind of perspective it's completely the the opposite to what it should be like but i think every, for classical musicians particularly they really struggle with this and and yes. i think if you can find a way of of realizing what we're talking about that what is important what we actually after here um and and that doesn't, like I say, doesn't mean always mean you have to perform in a different genre. But I think trying other genres can help. Um, then yeah, you can just really completely change your world. When when COVID hit, I I started digging into that was when first when I started to improvise really and mm. and play around with stuff like that and and um and and actually start writing my own stuff. You know, I'd never done that before. That was something that was just oh, I don't do that. I'm a I'm a sure. player. You know, wow. <laughs> you get put in wow. a camp. When you're when you're a classical musician, you get put in a camp. You know, you're a player, you're a you're a composer, you're a a teacher, whatever. This, this, it, it gets very black and white. So, um, yeah, all that started happening at the same time. I started to go online and try all this stuff, and um, it, yeah, it's completely completely changed how I am as a musician. I think that that movement towards specialization and kind of putting people in boxes mm. as is is a little bit of a modern phenomenon um, my my parents are both scientists and they've both spoken about you know how there are very few um natural historians anymore you know that that mm. when they were when they were learning science there were all these old you know all the old professors wouldn't say oh i'm a behavioral biologist or i'm a a, a chemical mm. bonds person they would say oh i'm a natural hist historian mm. you know I practice natural history. I try to understand everything that I can about the natural world so that I can understand the whole of it and how it works together. And I think that, um, you know, Nick and I, part of the reason we focus so much on the lyrics rather than on the music, besides our glaring lack of actual talent and skill, is that we, our training comes from the theater. We both uh, grew up doing theater. We met performing at outdoor theater and we both studied it. And so, you know, that's kind of where we get our, our text analysis from. Mm -hmm. But the way that, that theater is taught nowadays is, well, are you an actor? Okay, but that's not, that's not specific enough. Are you a musical theater actor? Well, that's fine, but then what's your type? Are you mm -hmm. this type of, are you a character musical theater actor? Just like, wh why are we putting all these uh, divisions? It's so dangerous. I mean, I, I even now really, when if people ask me what I do, I say, or I try to, I'm a musician. Right. Mm. I, I don't, you know, for a long time, it would be I'm a teacher and then it mm -hmm. might, oh, it was, I'm a singer, you know, and then it was, I'm, I'm a flute player. I have a thing about flutists and flautists and all that stuff as well, which we can yes. ask you about that. Yeah. Like. yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I'm very much now I'm a musician. That's great. Because yeah. that should be the forefront of, of what you do. And, and um, yeah, I totally agree. It's, it's really dangerous, all this boxing in malarkey. Now, speaking of boxing in, mm. something that I've been dying to, to ask you, uh, I think I, I detect that perhaps you are English? Yes. Old claim. <laughs> yes. Claim to what? be that. Actually, <laughs> I do my best. Point. What's it called? Renunci 
what's this what's the term Pronunce. oh god the british way of speaking actually you know the very british oh received received, received pronunciation. pronunciation that's what i'm trying to say yeah i can't even say the words let alone do it <laughs> so i wanted to ask what part of england are you from so i'm from the north um, yes, i'm from great. all or Hull, if you want to be posh. Oh, it's okay. Hull, basically, Kingston upon Hull, um, which is in Yorkshire. Right. Um, right. Where the puddings come from. I've heard of all of those things. Yay! Awesome. Carriers and puddings, right? Yeah. That's, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. So very proud of my northern, northern roots, really. Yeah. And that's really on the. Um east coast of mm. uh, of england yep yep right on, on, the, on the euro the euro side that's it mm. yeah yeah um i am i'm english by marriage mm -hmm. and uh, my wife's family comes from just about the same the same latitude but over on the other side so near near liverpool okay. uh in uh in the kind of ellesmere port area mm. yeah so we're, we're pretty much level then yeah exactly Ge geographically you know we're just Two hours that way. <laughs> so are you more of a are you a, are you more of a Tesco or a or a Sainsbury's Ooh, person? I, I say neither. Neither. Okay. Where do you? Can where I say do Aldi. You're... Aldi. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Do you have Aldi? They're a German company, I think. We do. We have Aldi's up oh, here. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But they're not. Um, I wouldn't say that they have a, a dominant market position. Right. Okay. So we have we have. T do you have tiers of supermarket? I would say so. Okay. Yes. So you Tesco's fairly high. Tesco and Sainsbury's are fairly high up. Mm, okay, fair. And we got Waitrose is like, yeah. We mm -hmm. don't have Waitrose in Hull. They're doing Beverly down the road. <laughs> so, so for for Amer American listeners, I would say Waitrose is probably Whole Foods. Tesco yeah. is Wegmans. Sounds <laughs> like okay. Tesco is maybe on the same level of Wegmans, but Tesco is its own. I was trying to do this morning. I was like, what is the American equivalent of Tesco? And I thought Trader Joe's the spa. Yeah, maybe Trader <laughs> Joe's. <laughs> it makes me laugh that you guys don't have Tesco's because when I went, I've been over to uh, to Thailand and over there and even they have Tesco. They have have they? A, a tes it's called Tesco Lotus. Oh, <laughs> I would go to that. I like the version of Tesco. I, I love the uh, Tesco Express. Yeah, yeah, I've just literally around the corner for me. Oh, it's yeah. amazing. So, so Tesco is it? There is something a little bit spa-like about going into a Tesco. I don't know what it is. It's everything is just very clean looking. Um, and when you go in, Nick, let me paint you the Tesco picture tell for me, you. Tell me. I'm I'm imagining it now. Uh, they they manage to. They're very well curated. So right. even when they only have a small amount of space, you've not been to Hull, have you? <laughs> just trying to picture where these Tesco's are. Generally, 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 they're well. Generally, mostly in London. Actually, I've probably Beverly. Been to... Beverly. Right. Yes. Beverly's the posh town next to Hull. Ah, uh, I see. Um, but if you only have, if they only have a little bit of uh, space, they do a Tesco Express, which is just a little mini Tesco. Oh, it's so cute. Mm. Big so is, is that like, like the little corner stores you'll get? Honestly, in yeah. Your city? yeah. No, it's not like a bodega because it's it's uh, it's it's clean and it's all very uh, like um, it's all branded. But the, but the same general idea is you pop in for you you you, you get you. There's only so much there. Over, overpriced convenience of the same thing exactly. you can get in the supermarket, but just okay. exactly. But less um, local color than in a bodega. Yes, less cats, fewer cats, fewer than... cats. Okay. Do you 
aside from your 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 viewers uh, mm. on 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 your your channel, do you have anyone you can talk to Tall about? Good question. Um, question. In, in, in fact, it's funny you ask that. I I, t I turned up at um, a, an orchestra. So I play in local orchestra and I mm. turned up at rehearsal and I had my, my tall t-shirt on and uh, the guy behind me who plays the bassoon was like, oh, tall, da, 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 and started like, show, he was showing me one, a video of one of the latest, you know, from the from the tour that's on at the minute. Oh wow! Um, so so yeah, so I found a found a little local ally in the bassoon player in my orchestra. <laughs> that That's sounds cool. like a bassoon player. Yeah, well, he's this bassoon like, and he's the dean of medicine at the university. So, so this is something that, that we've always found really interesting about Tall is that it seems to appeal. The music seems seems to appeal to a really thin but broad spectrum of individuals. Mm. So. On the one hand, you have the, you know, a lot of, a lot of tall is about the very like working class, the working man's experience, working John, working Joe. That song mm -hmm. is, you know, fantastic. The panel um, leaders. Exactly. The, the panel leaders. Um, but then at the same time, Ian is so um, intelligent in the way that he uses language mm -hmm. and the way that he constructs language and the kind of abstraction of thought that he writes rock and roll songs about yeah. Yeah. that you also get this very kind of intellectual enclave of mm. of listeners to tell um i wondered if you have experienced that or if you if you feel like different parts of tall appeal to different parts of yourself or mm. oh that's a good question yeah no i think it, 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 it i think it's exactly i think you've really nailed it there it is this narrow <laughs> wide spectrum of of people who, who fall into that category who you know like to think about things and and, and learn and, and explore the world but at the same time are actually just quite just quite happy to be here <laughs> and yeah. and moseying along you know and um and yeah I, I think it's all those things um I think it's all those things. It, it definitely what what intrigues me though is is the ongoing um, love of toll. You know, I mean, I, there must be quite a, a few younger um, people who are enjoying the music as well. I mean, the, the the latest album it got to number nine in the UK charts. Really? Wow. Yeah. I mean, and I know like the it's not album charts are not as what they were because wow. of streaming and all the rest of it, but it got to yeah. number nine in the album charts, and I'm like. Okay, people, are, there is still a real interest in this, and it can't all be fans who were there on the day, or or people like myself who are kind of coming into it late, or whatever. You know, it must be the younger element as well who are discovering it. So, yeah, there's it, a wide appeal, and I suppose you can be attracted, like you just said, really, to all those different things. All of them are not, you know, just one of them. Um, one yeah. commonality, one common theme that we hear whenever we ask about people's jump starts, how did they get introduced to Tall? The standard story is I borrowed or stole my older brother's or my father's mm -hmm. record collection. Mm -hmm. And so there is, there does seem to be an element of passing it on to people who are younger than you um, or people of even a younger generation. And, mm -hmm. and, well, and, and possibly. The younger generation now are discovering all this stuff. I mean, look at the Kate Bush thing, and 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 all yeah. the, the you know the, there's a there's a want to I think discover this this music because it's so accessible. Um, 
wherever um and that's just it's creating a, a real interesting time for the music industry <laughs> that's why that we way. started a petition on our website yeah. to get enough signatures to get a track from under wraps into the next season of stranger things we've got oh, nice. we've got tens of signatures so far <laughs> well I, I will go and add mine 10 <laughs> plus one yes i, I think oh, it is I think media-wise, whether it's music or television movies, I think right now, to to a fault, even I would say that that the the organizations are trying to play to nostalgia, mm. to 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 some some good ends. Like Stranger Things was was really groundbreaking and fascinating. Do they put mm. Kate Bush back in? And mm. like some things are just really tried and worn out already, and, mm. and we don't need any more reboots. But but the the idea of of searching for that next thing that people liked back then but hasn't been pulled back in, I think it's it's kind of the heyday for that. Mm. And I think I think we have some some younger listeners to the the podcast as well, younger than we are. We're not that young. I mean, we're but but we're not. I mean, Omens Omens. Speak 18. for yourself. Eighteen. <laughs> but, um, but we we have some younger listeners. They're less rabid. They're less vehement and adamant about the the content than than some of our older listeners are, but but they're out there. They're definitely out there. And I mean, I, my five year old enjoys listening to Tull with me, and and I I sing uh, Fires at Midnight to him every night for a lullaby. So oh, and he yeah. sings along, and it's it's great. He knows all the lyrics to Fires at Midnight. So that's very Adam sweet. Started for- young. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. My wife is not terribly happy about it, but at least <laughs> I now have someone to share Tull with in the house that's not yeah. her. So. <laughs> that's another common theme. People who write yeah. in to us say, oh, I'm so glad that I could now talk to you about Jethro Tull rather than bothering my spouse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've saved my marriage. Thanking, you know, the spouses should be writing to you and thanking you. This is, yeah. Uh, yeah. We haven't gotten those yet. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's strange how dichotomous tull is at times when i i feel like they're not and this is coming from someone who's loved tull since i was 13 or 14 but i i feel like they're not that offensive compared to some other bands but like you either really like tull or you really don't like tull Mm. there's there's not like yeah i could unless unless it's people that people that are like listening to locomotive breath for the 3000th time on on classic rock radio you know you know they they keep it on the station but that's about it they're not gonna Mm. they're not gonna hunt down tall Mm. you know it's it's this weird it's and i wonder if that's because they they have an impression that it is rock with flute you know, they, they they have a they think they know what it is, right? From yeah. Something yeah. like locomotive breath or Bore or whatever. They think they they already have this impression. Oh, I'm not going to like that because that's what it is. I've wondered occasionally if the if the use of flute and it's all you know a moot point at this point, but if the use point. of the flute in, a flute point, if the use of the flute in Jethro Tull did for most audiences put it into a niche. Um, because it's it's at the same time like they say like gypsy rose lee in the uh classic musical gypsy says you've got to have a gimmick Mm. you know and in a way i think the flute is the gimmick it's the Mm. hook of jethro tull oh it's Mm. rock and roll but there's a flute 
Yeah. And then at that point, I think people who haven't heard of it say either, oh, that's just weird enough that I'll have to listen to it. Or that sounds completely naff, I yeah. believe, to use it in English yeah, expression. Because we're very quick, aren't we, to put things like we've talked about already. We put things in boxes. We put instruments yep. in boxes. You know, the, the flute is a classical instrument and it sounds like this. <sighs> and, they, you know, that's really where my philosophy on my channel is coming from, because I, I love to play that. But I also love to play tall like stuff. I love to play pop stuff. I love yeah. to play. I beatbox with my flute as well. So I do, nice. you know, all that kind of stuff. So um, it's really showing what you can do with different instruments. And and again, it's why I love Ian's attitude was, oh, yeah, I think you can play that. He He never even stop to think well this is a flute like it doesn't right. belong in a in a, a rock and roll band it, it, it he he was drawn to it and it worked for him so he made it work you know mm. it, and that's how we should look at instruments they they should be mm -hmm. what can we do with this and 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 what music can we make not this is this instrument makes this music you know somebody said at a, at a conference that i was at at one point you know we often have the the tendency to think that we need to be at the service of music, but mm. that is not actually how it is. Music exists to serve humanity. Mm. And so whatever tools are at our disposal to create music that serves us, that is how we need to be thinking about music mm. rather than, Oh, well, you know, a hundred years ago, or 200 years ago, this person put this note on a page. And so I must respect it. Yeah. It's kind of the, the debate that we saw as a flautist, no doubt you are familiar with Lizzo. Oh yes, mm -hmm. she's caused all this. You can't uh, really, <laughs> can't not be familiar with Lizzo at the moment, which is wonderful. I mean, I'm just yeah, it's so she's interesting seeing people's reactions to that. It's well, and oh. she's caused a lot of uh, old white men panic mm. in the last in the oh, last yeah. week or so because yeah. she played some uh, racist president's old flute, hmm. yeah, and played the crap out of it. Oh yeah, played and it. and and the thing that people might not realize is that without going into too much detail because of the instruments we play have keys they uh -huh. you know and they have a system connected to them which make them work the flute she was playing doesn't have any of that yeah which means it actually requires different fingers it requires a different way of blowing it requires basically it's like this is a a rolls royce and hers is a i don't know a ferrari Model or a lamborghini or something i don't know <laughs> like completely different beast right um and the fact that she stood there and played the absolute out of it yeah deserves so much more credit than she's even gonna get she's yeah. she's also classically trained too right oh yes. yeah and i i read an article that said um she can she actually considered going to the paris conservatoire uh, to study and it would wow. be the one question oh my god if i got the chance to speak to her i'd be like tell me about that like what what made you not go um because you know would she have would she have the career she has now would she have gone down the classical route i mean you know and maybe what she, maybe yeah. she had a sense i mean lizzo's a very intelligent woman yeah um she may have had a sense i'm well i'm speculating which is what, mm -hmm. which is what nick and i do best um uh, that you know maybe she did feel like okay if i go down this path it is going to be a narrower and narrower path the farther down it i go whereas now she has one of the most expansive careers that you could that you could imagine you she know does. She and is... one of the most expensive flutes on the planet can i say oh really does she <laughs> wow yeah she earlier in the year 
I think it was this year, she she put on her Instagram about how she'd bought this, this the flute from the Flute Centre in New York, which is just a completely amazing, unique flute. And there was this little Instagram video of her taking it out of her case for the first time and like blowing one note and going, oh my God, like this crazy. Because she's just, she's such a flute geek. It's 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 brilliant. So cool. But um, but yeah, no, I completely agree with what you're saying. I just think it's it's so wonderful. Uh, but I'd love to know what her thinking was at that time, whether she yeah. had that awareness, like you're saying, or whether it was just a, I don't know what, what the reason was. But I think the world needs to be grateful that she didn't hmm. do it mm-hmm. in yeah. that way, and and that the world needs to catch up with that, <laughs> you know um that there is well, more than one way to uh, to be a musician and, and more than one way to have an impact uh, exactly and that's the thing and just because she is an international groundbreaking pop star doesn't mean that she can't also be a really legit classical musician yes and i think that's you know we often compare lizzo to ian anderson on our podcast for more reasons than one nick <laughs> <laughs> um but you know it's sort of the same thing that just because ian is a groundbreaking rock star doesn't mean that he isn't also a legit classical flautist. You know, Absolutely. that's been a later development. But. Why can you just not play both? Exactly. It's such a simple question to me, and I don't understand why we are in these boxes. Um, because, yeah, it's music. <laughs> um, and and it all really what you need is an understanding of style to be able to play well in these different genres. It's not yes there's an element of technique but you know like i've already alluded to you can learn things you can benefit from all these different things um and i I mean i personally feel there's too much of an emphasis on perfectionistic technique in the classical world and not enough emphasis on the music Mm -hmm. um and you know maybe if they the two worlds were to collide a little bit more everybody would be better off i don't know who am i to give my opinion but i just i don't understand why there has to be a segregation that really baffles me one thing that i that we often talk about because we take more of the narrative analysis approach to tall Mm -hmm. is how the different music and the different musical styles serves whatever story is being told Mm -hmm. if we can figure out what that story is which sometimes is a struggle but you know one thing that i've noticed um i i had the the pleasure of uh, working with an opera this past summer. Mm. And one of the things that struck me was how rigid um, Mm. some of the performers, not even so much the performers, but, but how rigid the the culture around performing opera was in the sense of, well, the music is like this. And so we have to do it exactly like this rather than what the hell story are we telling here? Yeah. What is is the story? Can I ask if it was, so was it, um, was it a, a piece from uh, like the repertoire of opera, or was it a newly commissioned? No, it was a, it was a, it was um, Bizet's Carmen. Oh, okay, right, yeah, yeah, and right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you've got no leeway with that stuff. I mean, when I when I was in university, that was my aim. I wanted to be an opera singer, believe it or not. I'd I'd kind of ditched the flute. My this is my my story. So I got to university as a flute player. I'd actually studied. I'd actually sung more and technically had a higher grade in singing, but I, I wanted to go as a flute player. My roommate, I thought at the time, was amazing. I was like, oh, but she's so good and I'm rubbish. So I switched to singing hmm. um, and kind of fell in love with it and decided that rather than being a teacher, I wanted to be an opera singer. And I pursued that for a long time. Um, and yeah, there, there is no, it is all about 
it has to be a certain way. Like there's no leeway. The way you pronounce the words, the way the music is done, everything it has to be a certain tone. It's and even so be- precise. Even beyond that, you know, when it comes to the design, the the production that I was in was trying to do a more updated design. They were trying to give Carmen who, you know, is is murdered by an enraged ex-lover because mm-hmm. he can't wrap his head around the fact that she doesn't like him. Um, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Uh, you know, they tried to humanize her and, and give her some dignity. And, you know, they had her wearing jeans for most of the production. And the We've review- modernized it because they're wearing a pair of jeans. The reviewers went bat. Really? They went nuts. Oh, they were like, and 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 it was very, it was fascinating because it revealed so much about the culture of the of the people who were reviewing it. Yes, and they're one of the consume opera specifically. Yes, and the, yeah. the, just the general industry around it. Uh, yeah. One of the reviews was literally, I mean, just shy of saying, "I paid to see a slut, and I want to see a slut." Damn it, you yeah. know. Uh, and you know they were complaining like, "Oh well, they've sort of made Don Jose the bad guy." It's like the guy who murders the lead character on stage. Yeah. It's her fault, Omen. Yeah. Did you realize that? Yeah. It's I it all boils down to I think what really one of the, the big complaints about under wraps is if you want medical precision in what you're doing, you you'd program the drums on a machine. Mm. You know? Uh-huh. If you want feeling. You you do something else. You get a human drummer. You get a, a band of people together. You get feeling. But that's that's not like the case of opera or the classics. You know, they want this is how it's been played for hundreds and hundreds of years. This is how we want to hear it. This is the reason I'm going to that. And that's the reason the world's in the situation it's in is because we're we're carrying through with tradition. Sorry mm-hmm. to get political, but no, yeah, I would, my, yeah. But yeah. also with with under wraps, it's interesting going back to the other side of that is does in that case, does the drum machine serve the story, this kind of Jean Le Carré spy uh, Cold War narrative? Mm-hmm. Does that serve it better, perhaps, than a live drummer would? Or it does it all not matter? Because, in fact, they did use a, a the drumatron instead of, you know, is it all just a, a moot point now? It's yeah, it's it's a rhetorical question until we get that that remaster where we get an actual drummer on there. Actually, I heard of an opera that um, used robot singers. This is not a joke. I know that most of the things that I say are are nonsense, but um, this is a rare moment where I'm saying something that is real. Um, there there's a, a new a new opera where some of the performers are human and some of the performers are um, are giant robots that come out and, and make sounds. I've heard of that. Makes sense. Makes sense. See that ugh, I could I could really go off on a tangent about opera, but yeah, that, that's that's that to me almost smacks of oh we're going to do this thing because it's going to be so new and edgy and oh and and yep. again like yeah, you're yeah, saying yeah. it's not where is this coming from really does it actually serve what we're doing? No, probably not. It's just a gimmick. You know, yeah. they would never say that, but really that's what it boils down to. And then if it gets butts and seats, was it worth it? Yeah. All right, so Claire, there's something that that I'm really interested to ask you about, uh, and and this is something we talk a lot about on the on the talk tell to me the the question of a concept album. Mm. So this is something that is a little bit of a 
a fierce debate within the tall community about, you know, is it a concept album? Is it not a concept album? Where do you draw the line? What does that even mean? Mm. And, and I'm really curious, you know, what you, what your experience of listening to tall with that is, does that, how much does that factor into your consciousness? Is there a difference between big C concept and little C concept? Mm. Oh, well, I mean, I would, I would define if you had to push me on a definition, I would say it is, it is, a, a strong thread that runs through the whole album. Sure. Um, and I think that's where, I mean, I, I've heard Ian say he's quite, he's quite um, adamant on something like Aqualung not being a concept album because, right. it only, you know, there were a couple of songs about this, there's a couple of songs about that. Um, I think the other thing is it, it's really, um, the whole, it, it's a package, isn't it? It has to be a whole package. I mean, it, it, like, Thick as a brick mm -hmm. is, is one whole long thing. So, I mean, yeah. there's no really way of getting out of that. So there are different degrees, aren't there? I mean, like you said, the big C, the small C, there are different degrees. I think at the end of the day, does it really matter? Huh. Yeah. Does it really matter? I think we've got so used to now albums of the past 20 years, whatever, just being a random collection of songs. I mean, most, mm. most albums are not even... You know, thought through beyond that, the title just doesn't even <laughs> have any resemblance <laughs> to any of the songs sometimes, you know, if yeah. you look at some stuff. So, um, I mean, in terms of, I mean, I, I, I really like the the concept of concept albums. I think it helps to to see where the artist was coming from. I really like, you know, to to really look at that and and to to get their take on it and um and if there's a story, great, or if there's just a, a theme, great. So. I don't know. I think people. I think people cause too much worry. You know, they they bother themselves too much maybe about it because at the end of the day, you've got your interpretation of what the artist's interpretation is. Right. Which is your interpretation of their, which is why I find you you guys fascinating because you do really look at that and you do talk about that. You know, you say, well, this is what I think he meant, or this is what because that is all we've got, isn't right. it? And that's all we should have. Because yeah, as an or... artist, and, and I know as somebody who's <laughs> prolific composer that I am, I know as somebody who's released <laughs> bits of my own stuff. It it is a, some of it is personal, some of it is not personal. Right. Um, mm. some of it's coming from a direct influence, something something is some of it's coming from not. I mean, that's the other thing about Ian talks about, isn't he? People bang on about all oh, it must have been this point in his life and this experience, and he's like, No, <laughs> I just like watching people, you know? Yeah. Yeah, he's he a people watcher. I yeah, think my my real take on that is that I don't think we have any. It's a we don't have any right to know really, and we don't need to know. We don't need to know because your interpretation of the music is what's important. Right, in a sense, it's none of our business. Yes. Yeah, and, and I don't think it's nice to speculate, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. But I think the fact that we form our own opinion on it is what's important. Um, and and. I know as some, again, somebody's released stuff. I really have to, I don't care if people like my music. Mm. That's good. Care. I don't care. I really don't care. Um, what I, what I care about is the fact that I've done it and I've enjoyed doing it and, right. I, and I want to share it. But if people love it, that's a bonus. Yeah. And whatever people think about it is none of my business really. Um, well, and, I, and I think that's true of all art. Um, so one thing that's, 
Go on. Well, one thing that's been interesting kind of studying this, you know, the last 50 years of, of rock and roll through through the work of Jethro Tull is seeing how the the change in the way that that we listen to music as uh, as consumers mm-hmm. you know um in the early days uh of of tall it the the vinyl record makes for a very curated experience in a way you can only listen to the tracks in a certain order mm-hmm. uh you know you are forced to participate in the music by flipping over the the record we've talked a number of times about about the the moment of the flip and how you that kind of implicates you in the story sometimes mm-hmm. um and then and now you know it's you know we're in the spotify land so if you don't like a song after the first 10 seconds you skip it um which in, in a way is fantastic because which is going to be difficult when songs are only 16 seconds long <laughs> yeah. yeah it is it is you know there's gonna be no song left if you just in, in order to go for a half hour walk you have to have 3000 songs left <laughs> so there but um that's something that that right now in in terms of where we're recording the tall albums we are uh, under wraps was the first tall album released on cd and hey, so we're right, right at that point when things start to fracture mm-hmm. and even with the release of that track we've talked about this in recent episodes how the vinyl was released with this order of tracks the cassette tape was released with a slightly different order of tracks mm-hmm. and the cd had a couple of extra tracks dropped right in the middle yeah. And so it's like immediately you have this fracture of of what the listening experience is. Mm. Mm, yeah, it's fascinating. And it's so easy to forget all that stuff, but it's so important because it's massively affects how we hear things and interpret things and, and how we consume things, you know. Mm. And that and what you were saying about the vinyl and having to turn it over and all it's like all the ritual stuff that went with really listening to music and having to make that effort to listen to it. You know, and, well, and no, I'm I'm a I grew up in the CD era, but even that, you know, we had the CD and we had the 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 artwork and we had the lyrics on a piece of paper. And that's huge. That's something that you know. I it's really funny feel for people that didn't grow up with any of that. You know, it's it's kind well, of makes me sad. You know? Even recently, Spotify has started adding in lyrics to the song, so it kind mm-hmm. of scrolls along with it as you're listening. Sometimes, depending, but they don't. It's not ubiquitous. Um, but uh, I wonder, have you gotten kind of into the vinyl? The resurgence of vinyl movement. No, well, I've got some vinyl at, at, at my mum's house actually. I'm going to retrieve it when I get some space. But um, yeah, I've got. I, I do have a small uh, vinyl collection. I inherited my dad's stuff, so I've got a lot wow. of Beatles stuff that was my dad's. Um, but I haven't got a. Well, my mum keeps saying you can have a record player, and I'm like, yes, I know. I just need to actually sort my house out so I can set it up. But yeah, no, it's something that I'm kind of. I'm almost holding off doing it because it's something uh-huh. I want to do as I get older, like have that, <laughs> you know, start to build that little that little thing. Um, so, so the answer to that is yes and no, but I, it's something I want to get into because I just I can understand the magic of it. Yeah, I, I only just got into vinyl in the last like two years, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it when when you say the vinyl experience, like 100 percent is it an experience if you if you you don't have the mindset or the time to dedicate to or the volume to be honest to to dedicate to listening to a vinyl it's not worth it like i can't i'm in the same room all day as my record player when i'm at work but i i can't have it loud because i'm on phone calls so it's not worth listening to because i hear the little bit out of the speaker but i hear it coming out of the record player itself but it's off by like three seconds you can't really absorb it i'd rather just put on spotify to be honest at that at that time yeah you know, 
So it's, it's, I, I recommend like once you can set up a space in your house dedicated for that, that's the time to really get into it. What I'll have I've... to do is get rid of all my sheet music, just ditch the dots and get the vinyl instead. That's right. Yeah. That's a vinyl torium. <laughs> well, speaking of classical music, one of the things that I've really appreciated over the last year or so is um, getting getting classical music on vinyl because so much of of any music but classical music in particular is the context and so having a full you know foot by 12 inch by 12 inch block of text Mm. giving you the context giving you the history behind giving you the history of not only the composer but of the players and of the recorder uh, you know the 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 context of the recording Mm deepens for me the appreciation and the under, the understanding of what's going on in the music rather than just oh yeah it's an orchestra doing some stuff yeah mm-hmm. right yeah which is you know completely what you don't get <laughs> the streaming experience totally um, totally and yeah. and i think why why people increasingly shy away from classical music because it, because it seems like oh you have to understand so much well yeah maybe you have to understand some and if you just have that you know, if you physically have that information with the with the actual device that you're playing it on, it helps. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it's it's we do, we we forget how much we have lost actually. With the convenience comes loss. Um, yeah, and yeah, it's uh, it, it, I, there will be a day I'm sure when the convenience and all these things can come together but until that day it's um we're in a in a funny time yeah the how quickly technology and the advent of new things mm. really just come into culture stuff gets left behind so quickly but like we said earlier that nostalgia culture I mean people younger than we are are buying vinyl bands present day bands are putting out vinyl you know it's there it's coming back it really is and I think with that that's that those generate that or those darn kids who who were raised to consume media in a different way are starting to realize that and that's why vinyl is getting bigger is because there's a way to uh, there's a new way to for them to appreciate media and that's kind of that's kind of I think ultimately what hipsters are is like this is how we can appreciate these things whether it's vinyl or a penny farthing uh that's <laughs> and and mutton chops um nick there, hasn't there... left his house since about 2008 yes. so this is why <laughs> there's just a pile of don't, don't leave your house the world is a weird place <laughs> yeah <laughs> don't those were my cultural references for everybody so right. Yeah, I'll check out now. Well, and the flip side of the of the technology shift is that now we have the ability to create these communities around things like Jethro Tull and connect people who didn't have anyone to talk about about these things and try to create a space where we can uh, discover some of this context. I mean, one of my favorite things, unexpected, but the, the most unexpected discovery about Talk Tall to me was that, A, anyone listened to it. That was a real shock when we realized that people were actually tuning in. Um, and we would be totally happy to just go on and do the entire thing without anyone having listened to it. We but... started it on a lark. Uh, we knew full well it was going to be so crazy niche. We didn't have any expectations. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But and what's going to point it, frankly? It's the best way, isn't it? It's the best <laughs> yeah. way because it's absolutely genuine. You know, it's that's, yeah. that comes across. That, mm-hmm. that. And the thing that's been fantastic is is having people write in and say, oh, hey, I was 
at this tour. And by the way, I, you know, when they reference this thing in the song, there was a set piece that went along with that. And it's one of those things that we would never know because we weren't alive in 1981. Mm. And, you know, unless, unless we did, uh, unless we were actually biographers or, or, you know, had watched every frame of footage ever taken of Jethro Tull, you just wouldn't know. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. The, the, the information that you can find on anything is, is incredible. Yeah, it's it's out there. I mean, if we were full time, we, we refer we refer to ourselves as amateur Tolkienologists. Sometimes <laughs> if we spent all of our time scoring all of these resources, mm. that's that we we could probably have a much more informative and much longer podcast. Mm. But that that's the beauty of of this community that we've built. Uh, also, the the Discord that we have. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're a five dollar a month Patreon patron. Um, we we have these people writing in and saying, oh, I was there for this. This is why, what this means. This is this. So we have this collective kind of tall skull hive mind. And it's it's so remarkable and it's so sweet. And we've really gotten to know these people. And it's it's nothing, it was something we never, ever, ever expected. Yeah. yeah. It makes me... It, because it, then it goes from being what you started it to something else. I found that completely with my, my community as well, is that yeah. it just wanted to play. I just wanted mm. to to have a regular outlet to play. And if it was going to be online, so be it. You know, it had to be online at the time I started it. And and it's now become this this little community, you know, and, and we share stuff every week and we have our own little things going on, our own little quirks like you guys mm. do. And and it's it has become about that, the sharing and the community and, and the just love of learning stuff, you know, um, which I, again, blows my mind. You know, I would never have, thought that people would ever sit and watch me for two hours on a Sunday. I've been teaching all day by that point as well. So God knows and what comes out of my mouth, but people do. They like what, and I, they like watching me for the whole two hours. I imagined it'd be, you know, people would come in for five minutes and go, Oh, can you play this song? Yeah. All right then. Um, But you know, well, it's either that it's either that or they turn on the BBC and hear what's happening in the world. Ah, yeah. You see, that's it, isn't it? Now, speaking of playing the flute, you have a flute there. I, do. I imagine we're I imagine we're getting close to the end of our uh, time. Do you want to take us out with your your favorite tall piece? Ooh. Well, what's the one that you always have at the beginning? Oh, beret. It's beret. So, so maybe the classic. Have a little bit of beret because yes. I, you guys always have it at the beginning. Do you have it at the end of your episode? Yeah, it's the, it's the, yeah. it's the first like fifteen seconds of it in the beginning, and then the final. The final closer as well. Got it. What, what do you I mean the final do, closer? I tend to always do. I don't always. It depends on time. But I norm, I normally do beret at the end. So mm. my little my little tag at the end is, and I've got to remember this because this is quite new. I came up with this a while ago and went, ooh, that's rather good. I'm going to stick with that. Um, to, to finish off our music making today, here's a little bit of beret, you see. <laughs> So, so there we go. And I, I, does I, everybody yell at the at the the TV well, they, when they you might do? do but you see, I can't hear them yelling. They might, they might, they might be yelling, but who yeah. knows at my end? Uh, so, so yeah, we can do it. We can do a little bit of that. totally messed that up at the end <laughs> brilliant absolutely lovely and what i do now like to do because i know I, I i do that one i had the dots at first and now i've played it that many times that i know it mm-hmm. um and at first because i did my own cover of it and i used that as the backing track 
and um so the ending of course is just crazy isn't it it just goes off on one mm-hmm. and um at first i i didn't hadn't left enough of a gap at the end to do like a crazy crazy ending so then mm-hmm. i had to add in this all this extra space so now the ending can be really long or it can be really short who knows whatever <laughs> comes out of my brain at the time so so if you want to hear that tune in or go and go and look at the latest the latest one from last week um so yeah, I, I love that. I know, I all I said when I did that cover, it's still one of my favorite things that I've ever covered. Yeah. Because there's something about playing it that I will never get bored of. Mm. You know, and when it gets to the 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 bit in the middle. <laughs> that bit. Ah, oh, and now I know it. I can play it in different ways. And it's like, oh, it's a yeah. dream. You know, I never get bored of playing that. What That's an insight. Great. What an insight into Ian's mind, even just yeah. throughout years of him playing and like just hearing various live albums of their different iterations of exactly there are so many different versions of it and every time i listen to a different one i'm like "Mm." you may already be aware of this but there was a a duet between uh, ian anderson and um katie coleman katie colonel katie coleman Mm -hmm. the nasa astronaut uh, yes yes and she played half Mm -hmm. a beret in space yeah it was and it's just for me that's such a cool like wow from from blackpool from the clubs of blackpool to (laughs) outer space incredible this the the journey of the the music is just it's just amazing Mm -hmm. yeah yeah um and 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 for me as well that that tune of course sums up the the fact that it's a classical tune that he's taken mm-hmm. and made his own you know that is yeah it's nothing more to be said <laughs> you know? yeah. that was maybe the first jethro tall song that i ever heard and you know i was um i was a, a dweeby weirdo kid who um nick can confirm who you know didn't have a really standard upbringing didn't didn't have much connection to popular culture i mean i hadn't really even heard a lot of rock and roll um when i was like 14 or 15 mm. And, and I had heard a lot of classical music because that was a lot of what my parents listened to. And so when I heard Beret and I heard him start to, you know, do the flutter tonguing, do the throat singing, start to break it down, I was like, oh, what is this? I feel tingly. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. that was, you know, that's kind of my, my jump start mm. in a way. Yeah, it's, I mean, Tull is a cool stepping stone if you can get into it. I, it's it's great again it's it has that divide and and there's kind of that that preconceived notion of prog rock but like it's boy it really brings people together and for some people it's a stepping stone into the past and for some people like myself it was a stepping stone into the present <laughs> <laughs> you were you were one step closer to the present at least always one step ahead of the past <laughs> so is there anything you guys would like to quiz me on is there anything you know britishism or fluteism that you've come across that you've still not answered uh, in your time on talk tall to me is there anything well, that you're still kind of puzzling about that i may be able to shed some light on or um we our our listeners are very um comfortable with writing in to say mm. you idiots how could you <laughs> possibly think that this is what I remember the, the the one that I felt the most embarrassed about was I forget the song, but in there's a reference to a Lou on sweet. Oh yeah, that was living in these hard times. Right. So oh. uh also a heavy horses bonus track. Wow. Go right. back to that era, people. 
And instead of hearing loo, i.e. bathroom, en suite, i.e. connected to the bedroom, uh, which should have totally been obvious, I heard it as a luon suite. Luon is a is a building material that is very common in um, in in theater production. I was like, all right, it's a suite made of luon because they didn't have the appropriate materials to make it the right way. And one of our writers wrote it. It was like, what in the hell are you thinking? I I want to I want to throw in there. I I did get Lou en suite, and Omen was like, but I think it could be this. <laughs> you are. Yeah. Yeah. And but that's that's the beauty, you know, the language, the the specific language parts aside, like that's the beauty of the, the, the personal interpretation. Ian has come out many times and said, interpret it how you will. You know, Actually, so that gives Ian uh, that gives Omen permission to interpret it as Luan sweet. Here's here's one that came up recently. So um, the first track off of uh, Under Wraps is uh, Lap of Luxury. And one thing that we kind of stumbled over a little bit is the line, uh, and the gaffer is a man of substance, drags, drives a jag, and takes high tea. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's a lot in there to unpack, mm. and I think most of it we feel fairly confident about, but the term gaffer, okay. I was wondering if you could expand upon on oh, what that means I mean, in, you in don't, You don't hear that term very much nowadays. You might still hear it in factories. Mm-hmm. But it's 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 kind of the the, the boss, but right. in a in the sense of maybe like a line manager. So somebody in a, in a factory, okay, is maybe the supervisor. You know, he's the he's foreman. kind of the little yeah, the foreman, like the little boss. So he's in charge, but he's maybe not the top man. Um, although in that context, if it, when Ian was talking about it, he probably was referring to the top man because then he goes on to talk about the jags and things. But. Um, a boss, definitely a boss. I would see okay. it as somebody who's a little bit maybe above themselves because they're like, yeah, I'm in charge of you kind of thing. Um, that makes sense. Mm. I think that's what we ended on, right? I yeah. think that's what we ended on. I, I had also posited or someone had posited that it might be an older term originally meaning father, like, oh, uh, like yeah. gaffer, and, gaffer and gammer. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mother, father, grandmother, grandfather, kind of thing. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah grandfather, I, I, that, gaffer. It could, yeah, possibly. It, that's not that wouldn't have occurred to me straight away. That, I would definitely go for the boss. Yeah, that's probably more. even more antiquated than than the yeah. boss term. Yeah, yeah. I guess the American equivalent could be straw boss. That's a never heard that term before. <laughs> it's an antiquated American expression. <laughs> oh, that's that's my time. That's that's. I am an antiquated American. You are. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was one that tripped us up. Also, I mean, the concept of of taking high tea, we think we know what that means, but but what does that mean to an actual person who lives in England? So high tea, I suppose, it's, and it's interesting. We haven't talked about tea, which is like one of my favorite things to talk about. So we should talk about tea. Um, Let's do tea. Is, uh, high tea is probably more like an afternoon tea. Kind of experience, um, an important kind of ritual that the upper it's class the would take. Ceremonial. Yeah, I would say so. Um, whereas now we just drink tea all the time. Um, right, Claire. What's your what's your go to brand of tea then? So, oh, my PG tips. Will already know this one. Oh, PG tips. Wash your <laughs> mouth out. Making enemies left and right over here, Omen. Oh, what? Yeah. So, so there is only one brew for me, and that is Yorkshire tea, of course. 
Oh, now do you Yorkshire. drink Yorkshire, Yorkshire Gold or Yorkshire Ooh, now it's, regular? No, you stuff omen. Well, no, I I prefer the just regular regular Yorkshire. Right. Um, decaf when I have it uh, later on, but um, normally I don't because I run out of that, and then I just go back on the other stuff. So, um, yeah, just the standard standard Yorkshire tea will do for me. But I, nothing else. Oh. My wife is uh, is English and drinks a shocking quantity of tea. Mm. Um, maybe not shocking for you. I calculated mm. out once how many, um, how much tea she actually consumes in a year. And if you can visualize a 100 gallon fish tank, it's just about full. Okay. Uh, she, she drinks uh, Twinings and she, she's very dedicated to, to Twinings, mm. but I actually prefer Yorkshire Gold. That's what her parents drink and I've really, got onto it i um once you've drunk yorkshire there's no going back <laughs> gotta be yorkshire gotta yeah. be yorkshire oh yes i'm very very strict on that yeah yeah nick now, what... in in the states there's like you can get any number of teas you can get white tea you can get green tea you can get red tea blah blah blah, blah. is like tea tea for you claire is like hmm. it's, it's build what we call builder's tea have you heard of that expression oh. Yeah, a builder's oh, brew. Builder's <laughs> brew, builder's tea. So, so this is your good old fashioned black tea with milk. You see, no sugar, but, no sugar. Right, just, just black, black tea with with milk. I do drink other teas, actually. I do have to admit that I do drink green tea and, and other bits and herbal tea and things. But, but oh, you, this is this is what you need. And not not too much milk. A builder's brew implies that it's not overly milky. Oh right? well, this is. You see, you could do. We'd need another few hours to talk about this, really, but. <clears throat> yes, yeah. and then there's the whole debate of whether the milk goes in first or after, which again is a very in first. Well, if you're making it in a pot, I guess yes. Would you put milk in the pot? No, 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 no. I mean, no. but you could make you could make tea in a pot and then put milk in the cup once you've warmed it, yes, and then put the tea on top of that. Uh, but if you put the milk in first, that's not good. You have to put the milk in after. Although I do always put first but it's not the done way apparently i've never so done there's that. I've never big debates about that. i just i mean i have to admit i'm not that fussy about the, the milk situation really as long as it's got milk in it but some people are always they're very fussy about that now nick um nomenclature here technically tea refers to the products of the of a, a particular species of plant um right. i forget the genus and species name but it's something like senecia um Anything else, any any brew that is made from a different type of leaf is technically referred to as a tisan. Mm. Correct. It's like calling almond milk milk. Mm. And like... I always call almond milk a spade. Oh, don't don't humor him. <laughs> These are the things that we edit out in the podcast <laughs> and, and put in our oh, outtake call to me. Give it give it to our Patreon patrons and just say. <laughs> You don't have to laugh at this. These are the jokes, folks. <laughs> you don't have to stay for them, but here they are. <laughs> That's pretty much it, yeah. So it's been a pleasure. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you guys. Um, so interesting to talk tall and flute and tea, of course, and everything in between. So thank you. Thank you so much. And um, I, I'm actually like, I need to listen faster, don't I? Because I'm so... Conscious now of being behind with the podcast, and, and just put it on two x speed. Not only will you listen, be able to listen to more of it, but the jokes will sound funnier. <laughs> I'll try that. Yes, because I need I need to catch up. But um, but yeah, thank you so much, and um, good luck with all your endeavors in the future. You wonderful, feckless moms. You 
thank you so much, Claire. It's been really just a, a pleasure speaking to you. Uh, it's a, been a pleasure to flummox flute with you and to talk tall with you um, and to mash music with you. Yeah, awesome. And you can, um, I, we will have all the links to each other's stuff floating Absolutely. around underneath the wherever it is in this technical land of ours. So go and check out uh, Feckless Moms. And um, yeah, hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Yeah.